Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hello, and welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here, coming to you from a warm, sunny afternoon here in Northern California, the lands of the Coast Miwok, really feeling deep contentment, which I think is important to share, given that this entire spring season here in the Northern Hemisphere has been in a pandemic. And so many of us have been dealing with uncertainty and a feeling of being off of our cycles and off of our usual rituals and routines and dealing with emotional grief and dealing with so much that has been coming up for us. And I have been saying, like, can we celebrate those moments? We feel resourced. Can we celebrate those moments? We feel grounded. Can we celebrate those moments? We feel joy and connection. And I have just done a day of interviews with amazing people for this podcast in preparation for upcoming maternity leave. And it just reminds me that I'm a creature of connection because I feel so good. Like my mood is so lifted after I speak with people about things that matter to me. So just wanting to give you a little permission to have a good day if you're having a good day. And if you're not, it's all good. We're doing our absolute best with what we've got. Today's conversation is with Julie Parker, And it's a very special day because today is the day pre-orders open for her book, Priestess, which I'm very excited for you to know about and for you to read. And I've already read it. So Julie Parker lives in Australia, which you'll get from her accent. She's the founder of the Beautiful You Coaching Academy, editor-in-chief of Inspired Coach Magazine. She's co-founder of Priestess Temple School, hosted the top-ranking Priestess podcast, 
and she considers herself a modern day priestess, which we will define in case you're like, what? With a focus on her Celtic, Balkan, Iberian, and Greek lineage, Julia is committed to contributing to a world where qualities of intuition, presence, social justice, and service are honored. Julia lives in Melbourne with her husband, stepdaughter, and two much-loved cats. So today, my conversation with Julie is really, we cover a bunch of topics now that I think about it. We talk about being ancestrally descended from lands that are very far away from you, and she lives literally a hemisphere away, and we we talk about how do the, how does that feel to like celebrate like Christmas or Yule on your summer solstice and what it feels like to have like Halloween be celebrated commercially when it's spring and we talk more about yeah the centering of European holidays and how that affects those who live in other hemispheres. We talk about the word priestess and her approach to spirituality and embodying it, our collective love of history, including ancient history that has to do with pre-patriarchy and goddess culture. Uh, We talk about our longing for sisterhood, our collective longing for sisterhood, the sisterhood wound and how to heal trust between women. Pretty powerful part of the conversation. And then I get her to talk about really how this book came to be in the world because she actually turned down a very lucrative deal with a very major book publisher because it was out of integrity. And she shares that story, which I think is such a potent and important thing to hear. You'll hear all about the book and maybe you'll want to order it yourself. So here's my conversation with Julie Parker. say that you're a morning person, but I really do thank you for joining me at 6 a.m. Is that right? Yes, 6 a.m. That's good though. I'm good. I'm up. I fed the cats. They're happy. (laughs) (laughs) Woe would be me if I attempted to, you know, get them up and then not feed them before doing a a Mm. podcast interview. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. I feel the way about my chickens. Got first thing I gotta do is feed the chickens. <laughs> then I hit the laptop. Totally. Well, um, I'm just so grateful for technology right now. I mean, in general, because so many of us are um isolated in our homes right now, but just that we've been able to connect and I was able to be on your podcast, the priestess podcast, and we were able to really dig deep on being descendants of European colonizers and living on land that is not our ancestral lands and just being able to connect more deeply since then. Thank you, Instagram. Mm. And so we're here today to talk about your work, Julie Parker, your work and your book, The Priestess Book, which is out for pre-order right now. And just to hear more about your story. So Julie, thank you for being here on Belonging. Oh, Becca, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted to be here and can't wait for a delicious conversation to unfold. Yeah, and what a treat to be interviewed. 
and to not be so doing nice. <laughs> well, I love both. I, I do love both. And I think you're probably the same too. Yeah. Just get me on a mic. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Either end. <laughs> yes, totally. Okay. So a question I like to ask people when they come on to belonging is, it used to be who are your people, but I realized that was a little bit limiting. So I'm going to ask you this and uh, all answers are right answers, but what do you belong to? Well, most of all, I belong to myself. And that has been a lifelong journey of work because I don't think I have belonged to myself for my entire life. I think I gave away a lot of my power when I was a a younger woman, particularly in my maiden years, teens and 20s. But slowly uh, over time, I've come back to belonging to myself and really owning that sovereignty and I think it's going to continue to be a lifelong work for me. But most of all, that's the thing that I feel most called to share is that I belong to myself first and foremost. Mm. And just because we talked about it on your podcast episode, I'd love to know more about your ancestors and where you live now. Well, I live on the land of the Rwandari people of the Kulin Nation in Australia, um, which is more widely known as the suburb of Hyatt in Melbourne, uh, which is a beautiful city and I absolutely love it here. I, I adore this country and really, really feel so blessed and privileged to live on this land. From an ancestral perspective, uh, like so many uh, settlers uh, and descendants of colonisers here in Australia, the bulk of my ancestry is from England, uh, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. I, I have a very strong Scottish streak. My dad, before he passed, or for his entire life, of course, really, I should say, spoke with a very uh, broad Scottish accent, which I loved hearing when I travelled there only a couple of years ago now. And uh, well, really, it was last year, actually. It feels like such a long time ago because <laughs> we haven't been able to travel recently. And I think that makes us think that we've, we're missing it more than it, or it's been further away than we actually think. But my dad didn't emigrate to Australia until he was in his 20s and so he spoke with a very broad Scottish accent for his entire life. And so a great deal of my family lineage comes from Scotland and then England, Ireland and Wales. And I also have a little interesting streak too further back through Spain and Greece and the Balkans. And um, that's really interesting Uh but it's certainly not as dominant as the Celtic line that runs through my blood. Mm. We share ancestral lineages, you and I. Mm. And in fact, I was in the Highlands about a few months before you were last year. And I remember <laughs> oh, I had gosh. gone, I had gone and it was no words, just size, like so powerful. And then I remember you were sharing on Instagram. It was the same. I I know the road. It's the road oh, from that road to the oh. highlands, that crazy drive. And it, it's where, you know, just the 
the flats just all of a sudden become like jutting, like very intense, steep mountains. And all of a sudden the locks and lock-ins are everywhere. And I just like was so happy you were there. (laughs) You're there, you're there. I know, I know. Gosh, that land is just so magnificent. It is so witchy and wise and wondrous and the wildflowers and the wind and all the W's, (laughs) all the W's of Scotland. It is just, wow, it was truly just such a magnificent trip and really it's so deeply touched my heart in so many ways and I think was very important for the writing of Priestess as well. It's like I'm so, so glad that before I actually finished writing that book, I was able to really go on what was for me my first ancestral pilgrimage. Won't be my last, but Mm. it was definitely my first and most significant one so far. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah, letting the land sort of speak to you and encourage you in your writing. Yeah, very much so. And just unfolding who I felt that I was when I was on that land, you know, it's like, how does this touch me? How does this feel? You know, what is the deeper history and culture of my people while I'm actually here on this land rather than just reading about it, which I understand makes me incredibly privileged because not all of us have the opportunity to be able to do that. But it was very important to me to to take that opportunity and and to dive in in that way. And, uh, yeah, once you get a taste for it, I know you're the same. It's like, oh, when am I going back? <laughs> oh, it, yeah, truly. I'm like, I think my life is pilgrimage now. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, just speaking to you now, I can feel the longing to return. Mm, it's, it's strong. It's deep. Mm. Yeah, actually, right before we hit record, I was asking you something that I I would love for you to speak to again briefly, which is feeling a deep connection to your Celtic lineage and your ancestral lands, which are in a different hemisphere from where you live now. And I've been thinking about like hemispheric privilege and the fact that like in the work that you and I both do, like connecting to the seasons, the wheel of the year. That's just like so important. And we're recording this right after Beltane or Bialtana. And you have just crossed over Samhain. And I was asking like, what is it like to have like so much of like popular culture and the media and just like the, the engine of capitalism really center on the holidays and traditions of of Europe, which is in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere, as mm. someone living in the Southern Hemisphere. And, and is it weird? Is it hard? Do you make it work? Like, what is that experience for you? Because in many ways, I feel like it would make me frustrated. Well, I'm going to be really honest with you, Becca, and say, yes, at times it does make me frustrated, but you also make it work. I mean, it feels probably way beyond exaggeration to say that it's super, super hard uh, because it's just something that you make work when you become conscious of it and if you choose to. 
But there's no question that there is an enormous amount of um, promotion and sharing and, yes, capitalism and consumerism that exist around certain things at certain times of the year, holidays and whatnot, that just actually have no relevance to the particular seasonal time of year that we in the South may be experiencing. And a classic example of that is Sawen, which has just passed. Because, of course, that time for folk in the North is the end of October. And it is a time when, you know, we are in autumn or what you call fall, descending into winter and the veils are thinning and it's an ancestral time and it's getting colder and deeper and darker, whereas the end of October for us is spring Um, and that's Beltane time and we're just past the spring equinox in Ostara and it's getting warmer and warmer and we're only a month off summer. And yet there's so much stuff that exists around that time of year in relation to Halloween and the shops are filled with, you know, plastic pumpkins and lollies and candy. And yet seasonally, it's just all wrong for us. And so it's become really important to me where I can for my southern sisters and also for my northern sisters and folk as well to just share, hey, it's so when for us now at the end of April. And when it is winter solstice for you, it is actually summer solstice for us. You know, only those few days before, you know, Yule time and Christmas time, if we celebrate that, just simply because this is our lived reality. And I think that that's very, very important because uh, especially for, you know, white folk as colonisers and descendants of colonisers here on Australian land, this is where we live now. This is home. It's like this is where life buds and blooms and descends and and deepens uh, in the seasons every year. And to hold on and and try and celebrate things or mark or honour things at a time of where we once came from but no longer are or we're simply from a consumerist or you know, Instagram perspective, following others and and thinking, oh, that must be the right thing for me to do is actually probably not the right thing. And so it really ends up being a a beautiful exercise in being here now. It's like, Mm -hmm. where am I now? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm here now. And this is the, the earth and this is the seasons and this is the sun or the darkness right now. And so that is the thing that calls me to deeply step in and honour that. It's like, where am I right now? Beautiful. That's so beautiful. And I think, uh, I hope this can help seed within the listeners of this episode, particularly those who live in the North, to remember and include our Southern sisters in a way that understands, like, the Earth is alive Mm. And the seasons and cyclicalities are of the moon and of the earth and of our bodies. I mean, it's all happening at once, you know, and we can, if if there's an inclusivity that feels important here to name. So thank you for sharing your perspective on it. Mm, Thank you for asking. 
Yeah. Okay, let's talk about priestess. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to make an assumption here that people listening might have like not a unified definition or perhaps a preconception or maybe it's religious or maybe it's like, whoa, spiritual, weird or whatever it is. So something I just so appreciate about you is you're just so accessible. You're so grounded. You're so authentic. And I love that you really own this this word and this way of living as priestess. So can you share with me what is a priestess to you? A priestess to me is a sacred spiritual leader. That is the most precise and powerful definition that comes from my heart. If you were probably to ask Becca 10 different priestesses of different cultures or ages or lineages from around the world, they may give you a different answer to that. It's like asking somebody, what is a witch or who is a witch or you know, it's you can get varying different answers to that question. But at its heart, to me, a priestess is a sacred spiritual leader. And in particular, when I think about the the history of the priestess and ancient priestesses, it's very much a, a sacred spiritual leader that is devoted to holding space and creating conditions for other people, especially other women identifying people, to see their own divinity and open up to their own spiritual journey and self. They're a Mm. space holder for that. They help create conditions, whether it be individually or in groups or in-person experiences or in this world we're living in today online that actually allow someone to birth their highest and most divine spiritual self. And that's very much what ancient priestesses have done for thousands and thousands of years. That role really has not changed. It looks very different in the modern world on the surface today, but at its heart, that's what it's about, stepping into a role of a sacred spiritual leader. Mm. And so is this book called Priestess, Ancient Spiritual Wisdom for Modern Sacred Women, is it like a pathway you're leading them on or is it education? Like what is this book doing for for helping people understand, reclaim, own priestess? Mm. Well, I think it does multiple things and that's probably an extension of my personality (laughs) and uh, multi-passionalism and all of those sorts of things and, you know, wanting to have lots of fingers and lots of fires. You know, the book world or the publishing world, Becca would call it spiritual (laughs) self-help. Which feels, you know, that's that's the that's the category. (laughs) I'm writing one of those too. It feels very limiting. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It's like I kind of and and hence the laugh, you know, when I say that, it's like, oh, spiritual self-help. Okay, okay. But that's technically, I suppose, what it is. It's not it's not a pathway. I I don't think that it it really is a pathway. It's it's a book that does, however, like all good books, as I know your book will do as well, it takes the reader on a a journey 
but doesn't actually present a pathway to them along the lines of, well, this is what you must do step by step by step to become a priestess. It was very important to me in writing this book that any woman that was drawn to it, to reading it and thinking, oh, that may be me or I already identify as a priestess and I want to go deeper, that I actually presented a deeply historical context for the world of the ancient priestess. And so that's also the historian in me. My major, one of my majors at university was in history and I completely geek out, truth be told, on the world of the ancient priestess and female leaders of the past. And so the book begins with really diving into that world and it's deeply uh, researched. And that was very, very important to me because sometimes, you know, we do see claims being made about certain practices or people of the past. And it can be a little bit questionable about, well, is that actually solid and real? Did it actually happen? And it was very important to me in this book that everything that I spoke about in that realm was deeply researched and factual. And so I talk about ancient priestess collectives from different cultures around the world, as well as different actual priestesses who were leaders of their time. And from there, the book moves into really talking about the what I consider to be the great work of the priestess in inverted commas work. And that is, you know, our inner landscape, And all of the things that if we desire to step into a position or a role of sacred leadership that we must look at addressing for ourselves, our comparison, our smallness, our fears, our bitterness, our jealousy, unpacking our white privilege if that is relevant to us, uh, looking at how we engage with the land and so much more because We can't expect as space holders to really be a divine vessel of empty presence if we're not actually looking at all of the things that we need to empty or we need to integrate or we need to bring into greater wholeness ourselves. And so at the heart of it, if there was a pathway at all, it's a pathway in, Becca. It's not about... Mm your flower crown. It's not about how beautiful your altar looks. It's not about how many people you get to come to your sacred circle or enroll in your program. It's about your inner world and landscape and your devotion to that. Hmm. Which returns me to the beginning of this conversation when you talked about first and foremost, you belong to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I can see how the pathway to priestess is like a journey within the self in order to rise as in your own divinity or in your own power, whatever words you want to use. And that's what I love about the book, which I got an advanced copy of, uh, is the way you touch upon these aspects of being, of being in your body, of being in this world here and now, while also drawing upon 
the historical stories, which I'm very into as well. <laughs> I'm like, history, say no more. Anthropology, yeah. yes, please. There's some sort of figurine with a yoni on it. I'm a yes. <laughs> Show me all those mother goddesses with their big tummies and drooping yeah. boobs. It's like, give them oh, to yeah. me. <laughs> oh, yeah. My whole body goes, mm, we know that. Yeah. <laughs> And I think the area I really, I tend to zero in on is um, the sisterhood wound. Mm. Is the, And I think that's probably because I have my own journey with this idea of belonging and community and just like, do I belong with friends or am I, you know, destined to be alone or misunderstood, you know, the stories we tell ourselves about why we can't feel seen and understood by, in an intimate way. And so you have, you talk about the sister wound and I, and healing sisterhood. And I just know so many people come to me just saying like what you've got, Becca, with your women's circles and your life, like that's just never going to be for me. You know, like I just, Mm. it's just, I've been so hurt, you know, and I've been so burned or I just don't get along or whatever that it is. And I try to remind them that patriarchy has really tried to (laughs) make those stories true for many, 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 many years. So Mm. I'd love to hear your perspective. I know you also lead groups of women and train coaches. And I just think this is, it's such a longing, you know, to return to sisterhood, to sit in that circle of women, to feel the power to reclaim what it means to be woman and female identified and and I, I truly believe that sisterhood is, I mean, it was the driving force for my healing, certainly, and continues to be. Oh, Becca, it is such a longing, for sure. And, and thank you for naming that, because so often I think when it comes to our desire to heal something for ourselves, that first step is actually acknowledging what a deep longing and desire it truly is. And none of us should be surprised about that or the depth or strength of that longing because once upon a time, being in deep sisterhood and trust and community with women pre-patriarchy was our norm. You know, we spent considerable time, days and nights, and seasonal celebrations and the birthing of babies and tending to each other's children in the way that we lived in community. We crafted together, we foraged together, we hunted together, we lived together, we talked together constantly. Because in those times of pre-patriarchy where communal living was just the norm, it was it was how life was, whereas now for so many different reasons and ways, you know, we live in our own little separate houses and so many of us live next to neighbours uh, if they are close by that we don't know or if we do know them, we don't know them very well. And so what was once a deeply, deeply ingrained part of our life and therefore our DNA back through hundreds and thousands of years in our lineage, was torn away from us. The onset of the patriarchy and Christian homogenization and capitalism and colonization and all the things, all the isations, 
And so when things like that happen, when once we were so deeply a part of something and were seen and held and loved by other women in that deep sisterhood, for whatever reason, if we no longer have that, it becomes a longing and it becomes something that twists, that we can twist or that gets twisted on us by all of these different oppressive systems around us that tells us then stories of, well, that doesn't matter anymore or you'll never have it or all of the other things you were talking about, you don't deserve it or you can never trust other women. And the unpacking of those stories and the healing of them is deep, deep work. And this is where the sister wound comes from. But I know, like yourself, as you're describing, you know, this all of the this has been the catalyst for your work. Making a commitment to look at it and gently and lovingly and compassionately work on bringing yourself back to sisterhood, which I believe once again starts with bringing yourself back to yourself and then being able to step in to spaces and as you and being seen as yourself and desiring to be loved by other women for who you are is the beginning of probably one of the greatest healing, if not the greatest healing journeys that you will go on. But first and foremostly, and I've said this to women many times before, is that if you desire to reignite trust and being seen and being loved with other women, you must first look at how you're trusting and holding and loving yourself, understanding that that's never perfect and it's always a journey but you can't ask other sisters to see you in those ways if you're not working on seeing you in those ways too. Mm. Yes. And I I also ask in that way for us to look back and see the ways we were taught or programmed if you if if mm. thinking of yourself as a machine works for you <laughs> that you know that what did your mother say? What did you have aunts? Like what were the stories in your family or what were the story? Because some, and, and some like also cultural traditions, you know, there's been a perverting of women's relationships and like what, how has religion showed up and just really zoom out and see like what's contributed to this uh, belief system you have around trust with women and and intimacy and vulnerability with women and then yeah look to yourself and then yeah so important mm-hmm. and just even speaking that I've been in women's circles where women just say like I'm not sure I'm safe here I realize I have never really had an intimate relationship with a woman that's ended well it feels really scary to be vulnerable and then everyone else is nodding their heads and crying and the healing starts yep That's it. Yep. Awareness, openness, vulnerability, all of those things that can feel so hard when it comes to trust. But that's the gateway. It really is. It really is. And I just, I know so many of my experiences of feeling ancient and divine and powerful 
and um, reclaiming my softness and really understanding the feminine in a new way have come in, not alone. I mean, and that could be just my experience, but have come in circles with women, you know, where very vulnerably we're all going there and, and it's ecstatic. It's a beautiful healing experience that I will seek out and be a part of and facilitate for the rest of my life. Mm, beautiful. And it's no coincidence, Becca, that, that, that circles are community. Like you are in a little community. You are in a little circle when that's happening. And so the container is there for the magic and the trust and the love and the sisterhood to come forth. Mm. Do you have a regular circle of women you meet with? Not regularly, no. I love to actually go to different circles mm-hmm. and explore meeting different women in different circles. I do have some favourite facilitators, <laughs> if that's the right word, or favourite leaders or priestesses that hold those circles that I keep going back to and sometimes I hold my own as well. But I love to support different women by going to different circles. And uh, so I don't have a regular one, no, but that feels really right for me. It's Mm -hmm. the eclectic fingers in the fires, as I was saying before, because it just seems like there is such accelerated magic that happen in circles that when I meet and connect with women there, we then we all then follow on Instagram and keep following and connecting in different ways, which is amazing. I do, however, have a a regular mastermind. I don't love that word. Every time I, I say, oh gosh, <laughs> every time I say it, like I, I just, I just, this is slight on my tongue. Every time I say the word mastermind, it just doesn't feel right. But I do have a regular online and we try to meet up with one another twice a year. We come from all Mm. over the country that I have been a part of now for two and a half years. And I don't see that ending. It feels very flowing and very ongoing. And uh, that, that feels deeply healing and witnessing and supportive in that way from a longevity perspective, which is nice. Do you call it like a priestess mind? We well, look. We actually call it a mystery mind because oh, all, I love we call that. It, yeah, we call it a mystery mind, which we like. Um, but when I say that, it's like people don't know what I'm talking about, but right. they know what I'm talking about <laughs> when I say mastermind. But it's just like oh, the word master just brings up yeah. all of this, like not just man stuff. Like it just brings up colonial, horrible. Yeah, dominance. Oh, yeah. So it feels better to think of mystery mind. <laughs> Let's call it that. Oh, I, I think there's something to that, though, around um, the emerging culture of us, like emerge, seeing, you know, these, these systems start to crumble. And for us, I mean, you and I speaking on the internet across the, the world and um, about these things that, you know, won't get us killed to talk about <laughs> and, you know, very yeah. seriously. Yeah. Right. And, and there's, there's an emergence of a new way of being. And I think you and I would agree that uh, looking back to ancient ancestral ways is, is what's fueling 
I think this new way of being certainly for, for us and our communities and, and in many ways, the language hasn't caught up. You know, I think about gender and I, I think about approaches to gender and sexuality and even like a group of women you meet with, like it's, we're still working on the language. And so there's, we're in this awkward phase. We're like we trying are. to catch up together. Yeah. And you know what? We may be awkward for a really long time to come. And I Mm -hmm. think we've got to sit with that awkwardness and be okay with it and keep challenging it, keep shifting it, changing it, doing all of those things. Because of course we know so often as human beings that as soon as we become uncomfortable with something or something becomes sticky and messy, we often drop it and run. But this is part of changing paradigms, isn't it? It's like it doesn't come without mess and stickiness. We've got to move through it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the perfect segue to my next question for you, mm-hmm. which is I've heard through the social media grapevine that <laughs> in your, <laughs> that from you, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, okay. So the journey to getting this book out in the world is actually pretty complex, which I can relate to with my own book journey. And you actually turned down a very major book deal with a very major book publisher that we shall not name because it was out of integrity. And when I heard this, my jaw dropped because I just thought, wow, there's just, that's got to be quite a journey. So I'm wondering if you could share what that process was like. I think mm-hmm. we, in in the spirit of building new paradigms and having to be uncomfortable. Like, I think this is an important story to share. Yeah. Thank you, Becca, for asking. I'm happy to, to share it. I think possibly 12 months ago, I might not have been because I was deep in the heart and hurt of that. But now I feel you know, quite fine um, to talk about it and share it. Well, I was, and I did initially have a, a, a publishing deal with that publishing house and yes, very big international publishing house. I I actually won a, a writing competition and was awarded the um, publishing deal with them that way. And so it was very public and was very known, um, particularly here in Australia. It's an extremely coveted publishing prize. And I do not mind admitting to you that initially I was beyond thrilled. I was ecstatic, actually, you know, and I had just enormous visions of this book being on bookshelves all over the world, speaking stages, so many different opportunities. And I was just my, you know, the stars were all lit up in my eyes. And the the, the shortened version of the story is, is that over time and in beginning to write that book, in writing Priestess and where it became increasingly important for me to make sure that there was elements in that book that spoke to 
white privilege and social justice from my own lens as a white woman, of course, and how important it is for any person that is desiring to step into a pathway as a priestess or a spiritual or sacred leader of some kind, that these things be looked at and addressed and that I was doing that in my own life and unpacking that, working with incredible black, brown, indigenous and other people of colour that were just inspiring me and supporting me along this way something that should have been terribly obvious to me right from the very beginning of this journey but was not, began to come into focus. And what that focus was and showed me basically as I woke up to myself was that this publishing house did not hold the same values that I did in regards to diversity and inclusion, and the uplifting of marginalised voices. And that in particular, I realised not only did they just not really have barely any, they had barely any different voices and writers in their stables, and I asked about whether any were coming through, and they weren't at that time, But I also realised that all of those sparkly dreams that I had about speaking on stages were going to be all white or nearly all white lineups. Mm. And I, I almost began to choke on my own vomit and blindness. And I realised I couldn't publish this book with that publishing house uh, anymore which was a completely personal decision. And I am very grateful to them that when I went to them and spoke about my fears and concerns and, you know, what that was about and the fact that I no longer felt that we were in alignment and that, in fact, I had realised that we never had been, which was my error from the beginning in in not seeing that, I was very grateful that they let me go graciously because it could have been, I understand, I, I imagine with many publishing houses when an author makes a decision to step away from something like that, especially because they had believed in me so much in winning that competition that it could have been very messy but it was not. The mess for me came afterwards because even though I knew I had made the right decision, I completely imploded on myself and couldn't write for about six months, basically, Becca, because I felt very sorry for myself. My ego Mm. had a field day. Just all those lost opportunities, what have you done, Julie, blah, 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 blah. But it was the right decision then. It was still the right decision now. I eventually came out of not being able to write after those six months and got over myself and began writing again and birthed Priestess and eventually found a very small boutique female-driven new publishing house that feels right and wonderful for me and uh, really held the core and sacredness of of the book and never questioned any parts of it uh, once and that that felt so right. And so 
there was very much a journey and that journey is still continuing but yeah that's that's the story in a, in a nutshell <laughs> but that's the decision that i came to it's the right one and i'm so glad that i made it because i now feel like i'm sitting in a position where i feel deeply aligned and deeply proud of how she's going to come out in the world yeah wow wow thank you for sharing all of that I um I can really just imagine how hard how hard it was to make that decision and yet there that there was no other choice. Like I can mm-hmm. feel that and it's and that is to me that is spiritual. You know like that is priestess work like integrity and alignment because you know maybe maybe you sacrificed like a some sort of status you could have gotten, but like, who's to oh, know? Yeah. Who's to know in the long term? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure in the long term, you know, the sustainability and of your integrity and of your, from a business perspective, of your brand. Like, I, I just think we need to hear these stories over and over again <laughs> in order to <laughs> remember, you know, because the siren song of the sparkly dream, you know, is. Yeah is such a thing for so many of us, I think, particularly in this culture of influencers and, you know, perception perception versus reality, I think is what I'm getting in here. And you just, I'm just um, in awe, really. Of that. Oh. So thank well, thank you very much. And yeah, it's a seductive siren song for sure. But the question that we have to ask ourselves, if particularly if we carry an enormous amount of privilege as, as white folk is at what cost and to whom. Yeah. And and that was the – and so, yes, even though from an, an ego perspective it was a hard decision, oh, all the things you're giving up, you know, the wailing that we were talking about before we started. It was like, oh, yeah. you know, uh, before we began this interview, in in the end it's like it, it almost then just seems somewhat ridiculous to say that it was a hard decision because it was like, well, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like it's just that I, it was a hard decision but also, hold up, Julie, like it wasn't also, you right. know. It's like in the end it's like it wasn't hard at all and, in fact, you need to do a little bit of work in regards to the fact that you didn't see what was there and forgive yourself for that and be compassionate about that and then do better next time when your whiteness and blindness and privilege veils you and covers you because it will happen again. Right. And what are you going to do about it then? So, yeah, yep, but so glad to be, um, you know, where I am with the book now. So that's good. (laughs) Okay, so when is the publishing date? So I know pre-orders are open today, June 1st, when this podcast comes out. Um, But what's the details? Give us it all. We want to know. Oh, well, yes. Um, Today, which feels (laughs) 
<laughs> so auspicious. <laughs> Happy birthday to Priestess. <laughs> She's arrived. Um, so pre-orders are available for a month with beautiful bonuses and then she'll be winging her way around the world on the 1st of July. So that is going to be the first day of winter here yeah. in Australia. The um, It's like, no, no, actually, no, it's a month into winter. What am I saying? Gosh, I'm getting my seasons mixed up there. So pre-orders are the 1st of June is the first day of winter and then 1st of July is when she begins to wing her way. So for us down here in the south, she feels like, you know, she's going to be a cosy fire-dwelling reed. And for all of my loves in the north, she's going to be taken to the beach, hopefully, yeah. and um, <laughs> or down by a cool wading pond and dip in with her with the sun on your skin. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Okay. So where we can just look it up. Is there any links you can give us about where mm-hmm. to go? Yeah. It's just juliesuzanneparker.com forward slash priestess book. So it's all there and she's available in all good bookstores uh, around the world online and in beautiful little bookstores if we can get to those in person as well. But if not, it's like, oh, thank goodness for online shopping at this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, did the pandemic affect the launch, the launching of the book? It must have. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was, um, you know, all of these beautiful, extraordinary, sacred priestess devotion book events, not going to happen in person. Oh. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, that, it, it, that feels like a loss uh, as so many things feel like a, a loss at, at this time and, gosh, aren't we going to remember this year in so uh-huh. many different ways? My gosh, such an extraordinary year, uh, one for the books or the annals, as they say. And so those in-person events are, are very unlikely to happen this year. They're certainly not going to be happening in the time frame that they usually would have. But something may occur possibly later in the year or early next. It'll be a long time since she will have been out since then. But one can only just trust Becca that this is the way that it's meant to be. And yes, technology, so grateful for the fact that you can order something and a beautiful post fairy will deliver it to you in your home um, or, uh, you know, wherever you may be so you can still enjoy it. And it's like uh, I know that for me is like when this all first hit, the first thing I did was go online and it was one of the first things I did and and go, okay, what small independent little indie author might I be Mm -hmm. able to, you know, get some books with here because I'm going to be at home for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I need me something to read. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Netflix only goes so far. <laughs> it does. It does yeah. only go so far, you know, and you just think to yourself, okay, I need something else for my soul now. Yeah. Well, I think this book will be it. And the cover is gorgeous. Oh, So you want to leave it on your <laughs> coffee table and just be inspired by it. And we'll put all the links to all the things for the book and to follow Julie online and on Instagram on the show notes at belongingpodcast.com. So you don't need to furiously scribble right now. Just head there and click the link and get yourself a copy of Priestess. Julie, what a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for joining us so early in the morning there. Oh, Becca. 
Thank you, sister, for having me on Belonging. Such a beautiful podcast, one of my absolute favourites. And so bucket, bucket list tick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind hearing that. Thank you. I received that. Mm, lots of love to you. And to you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.